I really, really loved how uh, we forgot to turn the lights up, and then like we sang even when I don't see it, uh, and then like we threw the lights on. We planned that so that y'all would really under no. Uh, that was just that caught me funny. Anyways, uh, this week uh, many of us were fasting, and it uh, reminded me. You don't have to sit down. We'll get you. I'll sit you down in a second. Uh, uh, but it reminded me in my house there was an argument this week about which kid it was. I'm 99% sure I know which kid, but he says it wasn't him. So. One of my boys uh, wanted to fast uh, back in the day, like his mom and dad. Uh, and so he was like, hey, we're gonna, I'm going to fast like you guys. And uh, so we would set them up for dinner. Uh, and then Ava and I would go into another room and we would pray and we would come back and we would find this child eating. We're like, well, well what are you doing? And his response, he looked at us, he says, well, I'm pausing that right now. And I was like, ah, that's that's not how this sacrifice works. We don't put a pause on it, otherwise, you know. And, uh, and that same child, I was talking to him this week about dedication. And uh, if you guys remember that Olympics that uh, Kobe Bryant was in, he wasn't going to be in it, but then they asked him, they kind of begged him, and he, he went in it and whatnot. There's a story, uh, while they were overseas, of like Dwayne Wade and Carmelo Anthony and others uh, going out, partying, going to the clubs and whatnot, enjoying life overseas. And, uh, and they invited Kobe, and he was like, no, I'm not doing that. Uh, and then they were rolling back into the hotel at four in the morning. Uh, and as they opened up the, ho uh, as the elevator door opened up, uh, Dwayne Wade, I believe, tells the story and says, Kobe Bryant was walking out in his gym clothes, going to the gym to get an early morning practice to work on the, the fundamentals and the basket uh, and the basics. And he just kind of grinned. He's like, that's why he's the greatest. <laughs> we don't get to put a pause on greatness. <laughs> we live in a world that thinks greatness should come overnight. We live in a world that thinks greatness should come without sacrifice. We live in a world that we think like Christianity shouldn't be hard, or that when we're looking at this, like, this big project or this big task in front of us, that it should just come easy for us. And, and, and when there's this big hardship or this big struggle before us, often, many of us, we get paralyzed. We don't know what to do. We, we don't know if we're going to lean in or we're going to punk out. And, and that's kind of the question for us today. What do you do when life gets hard? What do you do when there's a big project before you? Are you paralyzed or is it time to get moving? We shouldn't get moving ahead of God, but we should get moving. And so what I want us to do is I'm just going to read the first part of our scripture today. That's why you guys are standing. I'll read that first part of the scriptures uh, that we're looking at. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 2. Uh, and then I'll pray and we'll uh, talk just a little bit more. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 9. This is now Nehemiah leaning in. It says, Then I came to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. If you guys remember last week, uh, the king, uh, under really the king of kings, uh, gave, gave Nehemiah everything that he needed. Uh, now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen, but Sam Ballot, the, the Hornite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, uh, servant heard this. And it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. God, as we go into your word, as we talk about this scripture, as we talk about more in chapter 2, Lord, I do pray that you would put us aside. Um, Lord, I pray that this wouldn't be about anything but you. Um, Father, that it wouldn't be about someone, a human speaking your word, that it wouldn't be about lights or the lack of lights, or it wouldn't be, Father, that it would just simply be about you and us, Father, that the individual that's going to sit in a seat and is going to take in your word, Father, would you uniquely speak to them? 
Um, Father, I do pray for Tom's River. Lord, I do pray for all the churches meeting right now this very moment. Um, we are not in competition with them. We are in partnership with them to reach your community. And so, Father, would you bless your church over the landscape of Tom's River to see more people come to your kingdom as quickly as possible? Because I do believe you're coming back soon. In your name, Jesus, amen. You guys can have a seat. <laughs> Nehemiah didn't ask for an escort, uh, but it seems like he accepted one. He has army, he has horsemen. He, he, they, they expected that the travels between Persia and, the, and Jerusalem was going to be, uh, they expected some trouble, and so they sent him with things, and, and Nehemiah accepted it for the expected. But then he gets to town, and, and he has what he wouldn't expect. He has two people uh, giving, giving him a, a hard time right away. These naysayers, he didn't expect this. He's going to do the Lord's will. He's going to follow God. And so he rolls into town, and there's already people that don't like that Nehemiah is, is going to try to rebuild these walls, which is going to bring them a sense of security, which is going to bring them a sense of, of that for them, the, one of them, extra biblical accounts would say that he was a governor in, in a region, that, if, that a strength in Jerusalem would hurt him hurt his, his political and his power. And so they don't like that Nehemiah has shown up. And what we're going to see as we continue to work through the book of Nehemiah for the next few weeks, we're going to see that this is a struggle that Nehemiah has the entire time. And so right here, second week that we're in Nehemiah chapter two now, uh, we're going to see that how is Nehemiah going to handle opposition? Is he going to give in and cave, or is he going to forge ahead? What is he going to do? This is something that will be uh, a test for him, uh, his will and his endurance the entire time. What we see, he's, he's here, he's on site to do the will of God, and so uh, I'm doing God's word, uh, will, and it's challenging. We live lives like those two things shouldn't be said at the same time and shouldn't be true at the same time. I'm doing the will of God, and it's challenging. But those things are true at the same time. Like I mentioned in that high five video, uh, my son is getting into flying, and uh, we're trying. I know nothing about flying, uh, absolutely nothing. Uh, I take my son Brady to the gym. We throw weights around. We do this. Like I, I get in his face, and I'm like, "You got to go one more, one more." Right? I know how to do that. Flying, I know nothing, uh, but I love my son, and so I've been trying to research uh, flying and trying to motivate him, and what they tell me is I have to save a lot of money uh, to get him uh, his license. That's a story for another day, uh, but uh, as I've been researching, as I'm trying to love my son through this, I came across a statement that I thought was so relevant to this. My son uh, eventually wants to be an airline pilot, uh, at least today, and, uh, and so he's going to have a pilot and a co-pilot. And if you guys have ever been in the friendly skies, sometimes the friendly skies aren't so friendly that there's turbulence. Uh, and you have to learn how to handle the, the troubled airs. Uh, and so there's every airline has a different statement. Uh, but the one that I was reading around right uh, this, uh, this week uh, was, was this, is that when the co-pilot is flying the plane because either uh, the pilot's taking a nap or just kind of R&R and whatnot, uh, but if they hit some troubled waters or troubled air, uh, that sometimes the pilot will say, it's, it's like, basically, it's his turn to take the stick. And so we'll get into his, uh, his seat, and there's a statement that they each say to each other. The co-pilot is the one flying the plane. The pilot will get into his seat and say, my aircraft. And then the co-pilot has to let go of the stick, and he has to say, your aircraft. 
When you and I are following the will of God, we have to be able to look to heaven and say, your aircraft. <laughs> because we're going to face troubled waters. We're going to face troubled times. You're following the will of God. And do you think that you're going to follow the will of God and everything you're going to like, I'm following Jesus, so I'm going to fart rainbows. Everything is going to be hunky-dory. That's not how this goes. You're going to go through hard times. Uh, this quote has been attributed to everybody, but the last one I saw was Franklin D. Roosevelt. He said this about uh, waters that's more applicable to us. A smooth sea never made a skilled sailor. You guys know the practical nature of that. You don't want to fly in a plane with somebody that's never gone through turbulence. You want to fly in a plane that somebody has gone through some really rough flights and made it through. You want to get in a boat and go deep sea fishing, not with somebody that has gone through smooth seas. You want to go through somebody that went through uh, Hurricane Sandy and survived. And if they were able to survive that, I will trust them with my life in the boat. You and I will learn the most through hardship, and we have to expect hardship. So when hardship is coming your way, what are you going to do? Are you going to look to heaven and be disillusioned? Or are you going to look to heaven instead of rip it or grip it and say, your aircraft? When you feel like jumping out the plane or jumping out the ship, maybe it's time to just kind of take a step back and say, your aircraft. And for us Philly fans that are really uh, uh, butthurt about the Eagles losing, uh, not being, I wanted to love on you and give you a Rocky Balboa quote. Uh, the poet himself said, you, me, nobody is going to hit as hard as life, but, ain't no, but, but it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you get hit and keep moving forward, how much you can take it and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done, Rocky. And fun fact, he is in the Boxing Hall of Fame. Isn't that weird? He's an actor and he's literally in the Boxing Hall of Fame. Anyways, I digress. Uh, but uh, we need to learn to take a hit and look to heaven while we're getting hit, and take and say, God, your aircraft. The next part of our, our passage is, this is now how uh, Nehemiah on site, it goes like this. So I went to Jerusalem, was there three days. And then I arose in, uh, in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told uh, no one uh, what God had put uh, into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. So I went by night uh, to the valley gate of the, of the dragon spring and to the dung gate, which is literally what it sounds like. Uh, and I expected the walls of Jerusalem, and they were broken down, and, and its gates had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the, uh, to the fountain gate uh, and the king's pool, but there was uh, no room for the animal that was under, my, under me to pass. Then I went up by night to the valley and expected the wall. So I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone and, or what I was doing. And I had not yet told the Jews and the priests and the nobles, the officials and the rest uh, who were to do the work." Nehemiah just had a long journey uh, from Persia to Jerusalem. He has all of the perks of being a, a, a royal official. And if you and me were in his boat, in his shoes, his sandals, if you will, uh, wouldn't we maybe take some R&R? Wouldn't we maybe kind of like catch up with some old friends? Like he probably has relatives in the city. But instead of kind of catching up and enjoying some of the perks of coming in like royalty, what does he do? He gets to moving. He gets to doing something. It may not be taking brick by brick and laying a foundation, but he starts to examine. Why does he do this? One, he does this so that as he's creating a plan, he wants to see for his own eyes what he has heard about the situation. 
He's heard about it. Now he needs to see about it. And before he starts being influenced by people that are going to tell him what the situation is, those same people haven't been doing anything. So if he's influenced by those people, it's probably going to land itself in inactivity. So he wants to see for himself, start creating a plan. He doesn't want to give out that plan too soon uh, because if he gives it out too soon, people will question uh, that, uh, is this plan really going to work or do you even really have a plan? He wants to have a for, fully formulated plan. And so he starts to inspect. He sees the walls are broken down, probably from uh, like 586 when the Babylonians had taken over. He sees all of that, all of that rubble. He's like, this is bigger than I thought. This is an enormous job. At one point, my horse can't get through. I actually have to get off of my horse to examine the walls. He's keeping it secretive. But as he's keeping it secret, he's taking time to step back and examine, give space for God to remove, not for him to create his own plan, his own logic, but to give God space to communicate so that he in turn can communicate something. There's something unique about creating space and getting space, isn't there? Monday, I, I had, uh, Mondays are like my meeting day. It's also a day of sermon prep. And, uh, and so that, and I'm tired from Sunday. So it's a, Mondays are fun. Uh, and so like I had one of those moments in the afternoon where like email, phone call, whatever, kind of like, I was like in my head a little bit. And uh, typically, I go home after some meetings, but I had texted Ava and said, hey, I just kind of need a moment. Uh, I grabbed my tablet. I journaled a little bit, prayed a little bit. I was like, I don't want to come home and, and be in my head and be all moody. And so I'm just going to take a moment to pray and journal. And, uh, and then I went home, and I was really happy. Uh, old Jason, Jason of a few years ago, would have just been like, I'm going to storm the hill, and I'm going to have dead bodies behind me, and blah, 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 and I would have gone home and been a, a miserable butt. Uh, and so uh, I journaled and prayed, and it, I went home, and I was a lot better. You know what I did in the evening? I took my daughter on, on a date. Uh, she had $20, and she needed to spend it because she's eight. And so when you have $20, that lasts a few moments. And so I, I took her to Claire's. Uh, she's become a Swifty. Uh, and so uh, I don't, she just declared that I've, uh, anyways. And, uh, and so we went to Claire's and I took her to Starbucks and then I, like, I had this really interesting moment at Starbucks. I, I woke up on Monday morning and feeling really down about Bill Belichick not being, uh, the coach of, of the Patriots anymore. And so I put on a Boston Red Sox shirt. I put on a Patriots uh, vest. I put on a, a Patriots hat. And, uh, uh, that was my outfit for the day. And I go to Starbucks and the guy behind the counter, some young dude, uh, looks at me sideways, and I'm like, are you looking at my daughter? I was like, I was like gearing up. And uh, he looks at me, he goes, you a Detroit fan? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, I, uh, I, I, I grew up in New England. He go, and then he pauses, and he goes, your drip has me tripping. I really like it. <laughs> and I was just like, well, what I wanted to say was one of us is tripping, and it's not me. Uh, I was just, anyway, so because I had journaled in the moment <laughs> earlier that day, I honestly, if I hadn't done that, I would have never have thought to take my daughter on a date, and I would never have that fun little story to tell you. That's 100% a true story. Uh, sometimes we need to take a moment and create a moment. We have a, there's a passage in the book of Acts that I think many of us, when we read the book of Acts, that we would be so easy, so easy for us to kind of roll right by, but I think it's very intentional for us as we follow God. Paul going a missionary journey, missionary journey, city to city, town to town, church to church, and there's these little, this little verse that, I, that I, stood out to me when I read it, but going ahead of, uh, to the ship, uh, we set sail uh, for some town that sounds inappropriate, uh, intending to take Paul aboard there, so he had, uh, so he had it arranged, intending himself to go by land. 
And then he went uh, and met us there, and he took uh, him on board and went to some other town. The point being is Paul is traveling around with a group of people, and he sends them by boat. By boat would have been easier. By boat is literally a ride. What did Paul do when they were going to the next city? Paul said, y'all go ahead. I'm going to take my feet, and I'm going to walk. The point being that what I saw, if I was walking in Paul's shoes, what I see Paul doing here is creating space to have a moment, creating space to gather himself. I talk to you all, and I understand that we as a society, we as a church, y'all as individuals, we are exasperated, we are tired. Culture is not going to give you space to think. Culture is going to keep beating you over the head, wave after wave after wave. You and I have to create space. Space for me comes at 4 a.m. Space for me comes when my wife and I take two cars someplace and I just need a moment. Where are you going to create space? Maybe there's a, maybe there's a road home that's going to take you five minutes longer and go around the, the bay or something. Maybe it's time to take that five-minute journey home that's a little bit longer and use those five minutes to worship God and give God that moment. Maybe instead of taking the parkway, you need to take Route 9. No, don't take Route 9. Route 9 sucks. <laughs> In fact, driving in jerseys is terrible, so just buy a bike and use that to worship uh, God. <laughs> the next port of, uh, part of our uh, uh, passage uh, says this. Then I said to them, now he's uh, speaking to Israel, see the trouble that we are in. He includes himself, how Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem. He's inviting them into that, that we may no, lo no longer suffer derision. Oh, uh, some, I don't know. I speak for a living. Uh, and I told them uh, at the hand of my God uh, that had been upon me for good and also of the words of the king had spoken to me and said, let us rise and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Nehemiah doesn't blame them for being in this situation. He doesn't argue about why they are in this situation. He's not asking for their opinion. He invites them into it. He invites them into this project, and he connects it to a theological aspect. They know that they have sinned, and that's why the, the walls are down. That's why they were exiled, and that's why they were bought, brought back in. They understand all that. But what, the, what he wants them to see, what he's trying to connect it to, is think about these walls and what the people around us, the nations around us will think. They will see these walls come down. They're going to laugh at us and they're going to laugh at our God. Your God can't protect you. Your God, uh, see these walls that are in shambles? Like They're going to laugh at God and us, and so we're going to become a laughing stock. And so we need to build these walls for the name of Jesus Christ and, and his name around the nations among us. And so he, he connects it to, to have them fixate on the name of God, uh, on the fame of God. And at that, they're like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go do something. They say yes, and then now they're involved in the work because they care about the name and the sake of God, his name's sake. I'm reading, I just got done reading a book uh, this week, listening to a book called The Christian Athlete. Uh, if you are an athlete or if you're a wannabe athlete, or if you are a parent to athletes, uh, highly, highly, highly recommend the book. And uh, in the chapter on riding the bench, uh, he, the author takes uh, the, the, the vantage point of uh, his quote is, uh, you are an ambassador before you're an athlete. And, uh, and he talks about how a coach uh, needs to uh, 
get to a win. He has a different focus. He's trying to coach the team and, and that sometimes he needs to put the best players on the, on the field and that may not be you and that will hurt. Uh, but she, the coach is, is coming at the team from a different perspective. And, and yes, there might be politics. Yes, you might disagree, but he's going to do what he thinks is best for the team. And what you need to do in that moment, even if you're riding the bench, is you need to say, I am an ambassador before I am an athlete. And you need to represent Jesus Christ in that. I can tell you as someone that kind of dabbles in coaching and tries to motivate uh, my, uh, my kids in athletics and whatnot, that it's really, really hard to get them to care about uh, not the name on their back. That comes easy. Uh, to get them to care about the name on the front of their jersey. That's really hard in kind of secular coaching. You know what's really, really hard? is to take a Christian kid and not have them care about the name on their back not even really have them care about the name on the front of their jersey, but to have them care ultimately about the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and playing for an audience of one. That is really, really hard in our social media-driven uh, society. So God's name and God's fame is still being battled for. Maybe it's not coming in, in walls, but I think as you and I are, are temples of the Holy Spirit, that battle is still raging in you and I. Is God going to get fame and glory in your life and in my life? Is he going to get fame and glory in, uh, in your marriage? Is he going to get fame and glory in your singleness? Is he going to get fame and glory in your job? Is he going to get fame and glory uh, uh, in your schools? Like There is a battle going on for God's, uh, God's fame and God's glory, and that's something that you and I don't always fixate upon, but we need to start fixating upon. At the end of the day, you can win the battle, and you can be the most famous person on planet Earth but I don't want to die having won battles that God will see as worthless. I want to die and have won battles for the glory of God that God will say that was meaningful. You fought for my name, my fame, my glory. Good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. Here's our, our passage uh, concludes. Uh, but, that's a bad but, but when Sambalat the Hornite and Tubia and, the, and those names, and the, a servant of Geshem uh, and the Arab heard it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing uh, that you are doing? Uh, you are rebelling against the king. Are you rebelling against the king? And then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, are, we his servants, will rise and build. You will have no portion or right to claim uh, in Jerusalem. So here, Nehemiah is doing the work. He's now spoken publicly. And these naysayers are starting to redefine what he's trying to do. Oh, you're doing this? Oh, that must be because of this. He's coming at, uh, he's coming at the, the audience. He's coming at uh, the people. He's coming at Nehemiah, and they're trying to create dissension. They're trying to create disunity. That never happens amongst God's people. The, the, the enemy of our Lord would never try to infiltrate the church and try, and try to create a division from the inside. What, what, I, what, I, what really caught me in this is, is how does the, the devil get these naysayers to come at Nehemiah? You know what? Remember what Nehemiah's job, what we looked at last week? What's his job? He's the cupbearer to the king. He tests food, tastes food, uh, and if he doesn't die, he gives it to the king, uh, and then the king eats. So what was really important? Trust between him and the king. So what do these naysayers attack? Trust. You're here to rebuild the, the walls? Oh, you're here for treason. Does the king know about this? Are you rebelling against the king? 
The enemy will often, as you're trying to go after the will of God, he will, he will often take this thing that you think is so much, that's so secure and so meaningful to you and bring about a level of insecurity and attack it right there. He will attack what is at your core. And that's what he's doing for Nehemiah. He's attacking. But what I love about Nehemiah, Nehemiah maybe knows uh, the Isaiah passage uh, of, uh, of you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixated upon you. Nehemiah doesn't try to retaliate. He doesn't try to go back at these guys. He doesn't, he's like, you know what? I just told you the king gave me orders for this, so I'm good. We're good. The king knows about this. Everything's groovy. Uh, and he just goes on with his work. He basically says, like, if you, wanna, if you don't want to be a part of this, guess what? We who are part of this, we will, we will be part of God doing something incredible. But those that don't, y'all, like, you won't be a part of this. And so Nehemiah puts the focus back on God and doesn't get lost in the noise that they're trying to bring up. Back, uh, it was, uh, Ava was pregnant with, uh, with Landon. Uh, somebody um, said, hey, you guys want to go to a Yankees game? And we're like, no, never. That's never a thing that we want to do. And, uh, and they're like, oh, but they're playing the Red Sox. Okay, yeah, we'll go. And, uh, and so Ava is, uh, is pregnant. This game was kind of end of the end of the summer, hot. And uh, so I don't know, she was maybe like seven, eight months pregnant. And uh, so we go to the game, and I'm like, we're all in our Red Sox gear. And uh, I'm like, Ava, this is what you do when you're on enemy territory. Uh, you cheer for your team. You do not cheer against the other team. You just cheer for your team, say nothing, nothing, nothing. You're going to hear people, Ava, you cannot respond to the 50,000 fans. Otherwise, it's going to be two versus 50,000. This is not going to be good. And so we made it the whole game without any incidences. I don't remember who won, but what I do remember is leaving the stadium where a few drunk Yankee fans started coming at me. Uh, I was minding my own business. I'm walking. I'm just kind of head down, just going, going, going. And they start barking at me. And now Ava's like, Ava's cool. Like, Ava's good. But when you start coming at her kids, you've been there, right? When you start coming at her husband, and so Ava's like, Ava whips around. I'm like, Ava, Ava, Ava. I was like, and, and, and she was defending my honor because every husband wants their wife to go and defend their honor. Uh, but I knew if I told pregnant Ava, no, don't do this, that it would be all the Yankee fans and me, uh, and she would come at all of us. Like, that's marriage and that's love when you come at your husband and the enemy of your husband. Uh, anyways, I digress. And so I forget what was said, but they saw a pregnant woman get mad, and they backed down. Uh, and, uh, and so uh, it worked. Uh, my point is, as you and I are going about our business, following the will of God, you should expect the same level of struggle as a Packers fan wearing a Bears jersey. Not a Packers fan wearing a jersey, but a Packers fan being in Bears country wearing a jersey. You should feel, you should see, feel the same level of struggle as a Red Sox fan wearing a Red Sox jersey in Yankee territory, and then some. And then there becomes this thing of, like, what do we communicate? And who do we tell about it? Because in that same instance, you guys know that if I tell Ava everything that goes on, every email I got, like she's going to come into this place and she's going to want to raise up and take her out on her own bricks. I tell her very little because I want her to walk in this place and love, love this place and, and not let those things be a distraction. And I think there's just wisdom in that, but that also creates tension, doesn't it? following the will of God and, and, and everything we're talking about, being living as ambassadors of Jesus Christ on enemy territory, is, it's going to be a hardship on your marriage. 
It's going to be a hardship uh, on your family. It's going to be a hardship in your singleness. It's going to bring depression. It's going to, it's going to bring pain. It's going to bring a whole slew of things that you're like, man, I'm trying to follow the will of God. And, but you know what? Sin could be said the same thing of all that. Sin is hard. Sin will destroy marriage. Sin will destroy singleness. Sin will bring pain. Sin will bring dis- depression. And so you, can, you pick your heart. Do you want to follow the will of God or do you want to go after sin? Either way, it's going to be hard, but only one of those things has eternal value. Here's what I think that we can learn from Nehemiah uh, through what we've looked at today is that knowing your purpose helps you focus. Nehemiah was able to ignore all the noise and stay focused on the task at hand because he knew what God was calling him to. He connected it. Hey, God was in it. Y'all remember what happened in Persia? God's in this. And so we're going to move ahead. There's a, a quote that even this one, I, I've heard attributed to so many different people, but the last one I heard it attributed to was Steve Jobs, that is credited to have said this. If you want to make everyone happy, don't be a leader. Sell ice cream. I completely understand that quote. If you want to make people happy, don't be a pastor. If you want to, be, if you want to make happy, don't get into any uh, level of leadership. Go and sell ice cream and give out candy for free. Uh, life is hard. And we should expect that as followers of Jesus Christ. And we have to choose our heart. I didn't watch, uh, uh, I am not a Star Wars fan. I'm not a Trekkie, as they say. Uh, and uh, I know nothing about uh, Luke Groundwalker or anybody like that. I like sports and things that matter. I'm just kidding, but okay. Uh, and so I have said a thousand things in the last 10 seconds that so many people want to pick up bricks, right? And, uh, but I do remember watching them as a kid and uh, the first three that came out and then they like went backwards and did like out of order things because that makes sense. Uh, and so, but I, I remember watching it and the, really the only clip that I remember from my Star Wars days of those first three uh, was when they were trying to uh, blow up that robotic star or something. And, uh, and so like they're flying in this little like crevice and they're shooting their laser beams, right? And, uh, and there's a wingman that's next to them, and he's just saying, stay on target, stay on target. Like that wicked, annoying voice of, you know, stay on target, stay on target. And I think, I think he blows up in the end because his voice was just so annoying. Uh, but I do remember that voice, stay on target, stay on target. Like it's ingrained in me. And the reason I bring that up is I think, much like Nehemiah following the will of God, you and I need to hear that voice sometimes from God saying, stay on target. Stay on target. Stay on car- target. Maybe, maybe you're kind of wandering away from God, and there has been some people speaking to you, stay on target, <laughs> stay on target, and you've been ignoring it. Or maybe you know somebody that's walking away from Jesus or not following after Jesus, and you know God has you positioned in their life to be that person that's going to say, stay on target, stay on target, but you haven't spoken up, and maybe it's time to speak up. So I want to challenge you guys to join, uh, just for this sermon, I'm calling it a focus group. Uh, we have some groups going on that are going to be launching here uh, in the next week, one starting tomorrow and the others are starting like February 6th or 7th or whatnot. Um, so uh, I'm in, I'm John, you guys have a card on your, sh- on your seat. Starting point is tomorrow night. It starts, I, I hope that some of you sign up for it, for a refresher in the gospel, to walk through and bring your questions about the gospel, uh, just to do something with another friend or whatnot, but to hang out with Mercedes and to hang out with Laura on a Monday night is awesome. And so I really hope that you guys will consider starting point as a conversation around the gospel for eight weeks. And maybe through that, you're going to hear that voice that says, stay on target, stay on target. 
We also are going to re relaunch our groups. Uh, we have a men's group. We have a women's group that are going to be on Thursday nights. I think it's like February 7th that that's going to start. That's going to be here in the building. Uh, so Jessica Morgan's leading the women's group. Uh, so if you've ever wanted to know what a party is like, uh, hang out with Jessica Morgan. Uh, and so that's going to be here on Thursdays. John is going to be leading our men's group, and that's going to be also on Thursday, Thursday nights. We're going to go back to a relational element. We're going to go out uh, over the, the sermon and, uh, and, and some questions around that and just go deeper there. Ava and I are leading a group on Wednesday nights. Anybody can go, uh, can join. Uh, and so we, we would, Ava and I would love to hang out with you guys. And so what I wanted to do is invite Ava, uh, Mercedes, and Laura, Jessica, and John. If you guys could come up here and just kind of stand right here. Uh, I wanted to pray over our group leaders. Um, I'll pray over them. I'm also going to pray for communion. Um, and so after I pray for, for them, and you all can see their faces, you guys can uh, face them. You don't look at me. That's awkward for me. Um, <laughs> and so look at them. Uh, this is Laura's leading the starting point. Uh, we have Jessica leading the women's group. We have John leading uh, the men's group. Uh, Ava and I leading a co-ed group on Wednesday nights. I just want to pray over them. Um, and ask a move of God that we would be a people that can look at each other in love and say, stay on target. <laughs> stay on target. Know your purpose and stay on target.